0: My heart beating. So I I also uh, felt my heart beating earlier today when I got home and realised that I had prepared the message from the wrong book of the Bible. (laughs) It's not a wrong book. Don't get me. Don't mistake me. Uh, And interestingly, both of them are chapter four. Uh, and uh, one of them is from 1 to 11 and the other is from 1 to 13. It makes no difference. It's the same story, okay? So all is well, but I, it's just letting you in on the joke, okay? So, uh, so given all of that, before I start, will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for all of these people here, for all of these people who are here to hear your words, not mine. And I praise you and thank you, Lord, that you work through us to give your words to people. I thank you that you worked through both Matthew and Luke and that, that your words are here for us to hear. I pray, Lord, that we will all get something from this tonight as we share together. In Jesus' name, Amen. Oh, I've got to turn the recorder on. You got it? Oh, good. One last thing. So, have you ever been in the desert? Okay. Now, I remember the first time I flew over Australia when going overseas. And looking out the window of the plain over the centre of Australia, the thing that struck me most was the vastness of it and the comparative barrenness of the country. And occasionally I could see thin ribbons that may have been rivers, uh, but they were dwarfed by the red soil everywhere and some sparse, scrubby growth. Australia is mostly desert. Now, I had a closer view in recent years, up close, when, when visiting areas like Broken Hill, Uluru and Alice Springs. There was a beauty in it all, but the vast redness of the earth still featured strongly. I remember going for a walk around the base of Uluru and, you know, like halfway around, you think, why am I doing this? It was so hot and i was being affected by the heat and needing to stop and rest at times wherever there was shade and there wasn't very much of it the water didn't taste fabulous either but at least it kept you hydrated nighttime in the desert was quite different especially where there was no lighting and you know how when there's no city lights around it's different and uh, I remember one night that uh, a group of us who were on holidays, we were travelling back from a sunset cruise on the Menindee Lakes and we stopped the car and turned the lights off and got out of the car. <sighs> it was breathtaking. And the words of Psalm 8 immediately, immediately came to my mind. You know those verses, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. Aren't they beautiful words and so fitting? You can perhaps understand why I'm talking about this when you think about our reading. These two pictures, by the way, are uh, from Alice Springs. Um, There were some others that I was going to put in, but they're not there, so that's all right. So it just sent my mind there, and, and I was just trying to understand the context that Jesus was in. And so this dryness and... Rockiness and everything was was what I was trying to to immerse myself in. Remember, he had just been baptised by John in the River Jordan. On rising from the water, God's voice was heard to say, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Then... Have you ever had a a rich spiritual experience and felt on a bit of a mountaintop of excitement and joy? Then, Jesus had just been very public about who he was, the Son of God. Then he was led by the Spirit into the desert, away from everyone else. But lurking nearby was the devil, Satan, the tempter, waiting for his opportunity. Now, the interesting thing for me is, at this point, that the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted on purpose. Now, when I looked at some commentary on this... I found that temptation and testing are opposite faces of the same coin, so to speak. The difference is that Satan's goal is to cause the person to go against God's will, whereas God's intention is for someone to have reason or encouragement to strengthen their faith. It's with good intention. God wants his people to trust him in all things, especially the difficult times. Now, as I said, Jesus had just been declared publicly as the much-loved son of God. This was the beginning of his public ministry. It wasn't unusual to take time out to fast and focus on God. In fact, that was a bit of a practice of Jesus, to go out and focus. Jesus wanted to be focused on his ministry that lay before him. He knew it was going to be hard and he needed complete trust in his father, both as a human and as God's son. So, 40 days and nights he fasted and focused on God's word and his plans for the world. I like to imagine that, just like we did that night in the desert, he looked at the heavens and thought about the words in Psalm 8. There would have been a lot that would have directed his focus to his Father God. After 40 days, Jesus would have been very hungry. He would have felt quite physically weakened by the end. And then the tempter made his move. Now, Satan would have known and accepted that Jesus was the son of God. He wasn't trying to cast doubt on that. And if you read some of the the passage in the message, it says, Since you're God's son, command this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. It was more along the lines of, Show us your power and feed yourself by making these stones into bread. The temptation was that Jesus could use his divine power and meet his own needs. We know that he did have the power to perform a miracle like that because later in his ministry, he fed thousands, tens of thousands, with next to nothing. On this occasion... The test was whether he would, as a human, rely only on God for his needs. Now in this context, Jesus needed to be fully human. This is to show us that it is possible to resist temptation and be fully within God's will. This is the part where Jesus was just like one of us. There are also some links here back to the Old Testament. And I love it when there are links back to the Old Testament because it joins it all up. The quotes Jesus uses to counter Satan are from the Old Testament, especially Deuteronomy. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You may remember that Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible and tells of the time when the Israelites were preparing to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the desert. Now that sounds a bit similar, doesn't it? 40 years, 40 days. Hmm, a bit of a parallel. Most of the people needed reminding of their history and God's commands. They needed reminding of God's continuing provision for them over those years. And in Deuteronomy 8, we read, "...be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors." Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So the core of this test is Jesus' personal trust in the Father's leading and provision for him. Jesus quotes from that passage and Satan leaves that temptation to go on to another. I'd like you to give some thought to what's influencing you to trust only in yourself and your own abilities and not in God and then we come to another temptation or test now what's this all about Okay, so the temple in Jerusalem was a symbol of the special relationship of the Israelites with God. It was a national symbol. The original temple had been built by Solomon, David's son. It was a home for the Ark of the Covenant where the stones of the Ten Commandments were kept. It also became a place for gathering of the people and later as a place of sacrifice for the people. Various conquerors damaged and pillaged the temple and it was rebuilt twice. The story of the temple in Jerusalem is a message in itself. In fact, I think Steve gave that message some time ago. So I won't go into too much detail. Suffice it to say, it was a centre of worship and national identity. My understanding is... That all that remains of the third temple today is part of the Western Wall, also known as the Wailing Wall. So this temptation involves taking Jesus to the representative central focus point of the national identity. And you can see in that, that uh, representation there, that there's a high point. And imagine imagine that that's where Satan took him. Up on the highest point of the temple, he would certainly attract the attention of the crowds. It was almost like Satan saying, you'll draw a big crowd here, Jesus. And If you throw yourself off here, you'll have the whole nation following you. It would be a great place for showing God's power When he sends his angels to keep you from harm when you fall. Easy. Again, the temptation is about taking the easy way and not the way God planned. It's also about, let's see if he really is your father. Test his love for you and show everyone how powerful you are. Again, The temptation is about taking the easy way and not the way God had planned. It's also about what I just said. Read the same thing twice, sorry. The verses Satan quotes to Jesus are from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, and as usual are taken out of context. When you read the whole psalm, the verses are about asserting God's protecting power for the faithful in Israel. They're not about Jesus deliberately putting himself in harm's way to make a public spectacle of his rescue. Jesus did have the power to call angels to rescue him. When Jesus was being arrested in the garden, one of the disciples drew his sword and cut off an ear of one of the high priest's servants. What did he say then? Jesus said, put your sword back where it belongs. All who use swords are destroyed by swords. Don't you realise that I am able right now to call to my father and 12 companies, more if I want, of fighting angels would be here, battle ready. But if I did that, how would the scriptures come true that say, This is the way it has to be. So in this situation, in the desert, Jesus quoted scripture back to the devil. Again, from Deuteronomy. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, part of the instruction to Israel before they entered the promised land. These instructions are about faithfulness and obedience to God. And we often hear of people who have bargained with God. God, if you this, do this for me, I'll believe in you and follow you. You've heard things like that, maybe. Think about times when you have put God to the test. The devil's never one to give up. He looks for times when people are vulnerable and makes every effort to be a negative influence. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days in the desert. He was in a weakened state physically. He'd been led into the desert for fasting as part of his preparation for commencing his public ministry the purpose of which is to gather all the nations into God's kingdom. He knows that this will mean the ultimate sacrifice on on his part. He knows the journey to his sacrifice will not be easy. Satan knows that too. Hence this temptation. He takes Jesus up to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. He offers them to him. But wait, there's a catch. The only stipulation is that Jesus must bow down and worship Satan. Basically, Satan wants Jesus to recognise him as God. He wants the world to bow down to him. It's like, have I got a deal for you? No need to worry about the sacrifice. Here it is, a done deal. Easy. Despite his weakness and hunger, and maybe even dreading what he knew had to come, Jesus, the man, stood up to Satan once again. In Matthew's Gospel, he said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I like the way the message uh, puts those verses. It says, Jesus' refusal was curt. Beat it, Satan. He backed his rebuke with a third quotation from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only him serve him with absolute single-mindedness. The test was over. The devil left. And in his place, angels. Angels came and took care of Jesus' needs. The angels were there for him after all. But according to his need, not some trick. Have you ever been offered an easy way out of something that you really know you should do. What's been the ultimate cost to you or others? What would you have liked to to have done differently? So what's the point of considering all of this? We understand that Jesus was both human and divine. He was equal with God And at the same time, he was fully human. God acknowledged Jesus' divinity at his baptism. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. As the Spirit led him into the wilderness, he was fully human. In all that happened to him with Satan, Jesus responded as a human. He didn't use any of the divine power that he could have. He used the strength of scripture to defeat the devil. He was fully human, just like me and you. He limited himself to being a human so he could demonstrate how we are to live in the power of the spirit. Just recently we remembered Jesus came as a baby into this world, so tiny, so vulnerable, so reliant on others for his care and physical nourishment. He was part of a normal family with the usual life struggles. He learned his earthly father's trade and worked for a living. He lived in one of the less favoured towns of Judea, As it says in uh, in John, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Jesus did not have a cushy life. He experienced life challenges just like anyone else. And yet, he did not sin. He remained within God's will even when it was as hard as you could ever imagine. He was the example for us of perfect humanity. Humanity as God had planned it. The same spirit that led him and strengthened him is available to us. And we sometimes find ourselves in desert places. We can feel used up and discarded. We have things in our lives that seem insurmountable. And we feel like giving up. I'm sure Jesus the man felt like this in his desert. As hard as it was, he trusted in God and his word. He remembered his word in scripture to help him answer Satan. He showed us what was possible for us too. Now sometimes for us... We may not have to face the same kinds of temptations that Jesus did. Sometimes we can face huge temptations. Some of these would be common to many. Other times we may face temptations that are unique to us. The temptation may not even be to do something inherently wrong but maybe for you it is. The question is, does it point you away from God's will or does it strengthen or encourage your faith? Is it with good intention? Are there things in your life that you feel are not healthy for you even if they are okay for others? The question is, what does God want for you in this situation? In Corinthians, we read, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And conversely... What would Satan want for you in this same situation? Is he pointing you to God's will or away from it? I've often heard people say something like, well, of course Jesus could do this or that, but I'm just a human being. We use our humanness as an excuse. I've done it myself. In this time of temptation, Jesus was just a human being. He showed us what was possible for us, trusting in God and relying on the spirit that is also available to us. And remember, temptations in the hands of Satan become a test in the hands of God. God will use them as a test for strengthening of our faith and character. We're not expected to do this alone. God has given us his word and his spirit. To guide us. He's also given us one another. Do you remember the three things that I asked you to to think about earlier? About giving some thought about trusting in only in your own abilities, yourself and your own abilities and not in God. Think about times when you've put God to the test. Have you ever been offered an easy way out of something? What would you like to do differently? Do you have something that you're struggling with? Would you like to talk about it? Do you want prayer for strength to stand against it? Please approach someone you trust to talk with you through the struggle. I'm always happy to talk and pray with you and so are many others. I have also printed out, if anybody is interested, some verses that may be helpful to read and remember. Please take one and read through and commit what you can to memory. I find this really helpful. Now, as we think about all that Jesus did, as we think about his struggle in the desert, as we think about all that he has done for us over a short life, he taught us a whole lot of things, and he went to the cross for us, that was the end result of his earthly ministry. It didn't end there, of course, we know. But it's important for us to remember the struggles that Jesus went through. It's important for us to bring our struggles to him. We're about to share around the Lord's table. So before we do that, let's just pray and bring your hearts to God. Father, we thank you for these words that tell us about your struggle against temptation. Lord, we struggle many times in our lives. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our minds. As we come around this table of remembrance... Help us to give up to you those things that are troubling us. Help us to seek the help that we need. And Lord, in the strength of your spirit, help us to overcome. Lord, bless us now as we share in remembrance around your table. In Jesus' name. Amen.